Welcome everyone again to the 56th Fireside Chat. Today we have a new guest, Michael, with us. Welcome, Michael. I would like to uh, address a few comments that have been made, and that is that a lot of the questions and are personal, and a lot of the experiences are personal, and some people would like to hear more content, but I want to remind you that uh, your own experiences and your personal experiences are the most valuable thing. Um, and a lot of other people have those same experiences and those same questions. And Tom addresses the question not only to the individual, but to those others as well. So he answers for a general audience. So why don't we start now with Michael? Hello, my name is Michael. And as I said before, I think I'll say right off the bat, I have Asperger's syndrome. I think in a different way for most people, not that that's, not that that's, not that I'm really alone here with that, but often people misunderstand me, think I'm being inconsiderate, and that isn't my intention, so please bear with me. Um, what initially got me interested in this, I'm sure I'm not the only one, a lifelong fascination I've had with the idea of paranormal abilities. Um, this began when I was a kid with things like seeing magic and TV shows when I was too young to realize it didn't actually happen. On, like as it did on TV, as well as believing in Santa Claus, who is said to be able to do many seemingly impossible things. Being the type of person who loves to learn about how things work, as well as knowing how much fun it would be to experience. I naturally wanted to find out whatever I could, but all my leads seemed so elusive. Um, you can probably guess that magic acts are more infuriating for me than funs. I could almost never figure out how they worked, and with the magician refusing to tell me more, even just do it again for me to watch more closely, it's impossible for me to know whether you know, it was real magic, much less how to learn more about it if it was. <laughs> Likewise, my supposed interactions with Santa Claus as a child were all concerned with trying to seize the opportunity to learn as much as I could about magic, which disappointingly never amounted to much of anything. Sorry, I'm going to get to the end. This is just introducing myself here and why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, while it did cause me stress, what was on my mind is nowhere near the unhealthy, all-consuming obsession I'm even making it sound like. Throughout my life, I continued to feel the same way about other events I've heard about, not knowing whether they were true or false, but when I didn't but not wanting to miss out on the opportunity to learn more about reality and make my life more interesting. Keep in mind, for most of my life, I've ranged from mostly convinced to totally in belief that nothing like that can really happen. And yes, I've since reached the same conclusion as you, this belief traps created by my ego to avoid having to deal with the uncertainty and fear of missing out on something wonderful, which, of course, actually made me even more likely to miss out on it. Um, and while I'd still love to attain paranormal abilities, and yes, I know that's ego, um, I'd love to discover more about the truth of reality in general. I feel like I've made a good amount of progress in improving the quality of my consciousness through meditation and related practices. While, while my experiments like occasionally yield interesting results, and I've been noticing some mostly mild synchronicities time to time, I have a hard time putting all these experiences together into anything that's enough to take me to such a profound conclusion. Um, and I really like would be to see something firsthand on its own seems incredibly impossible. It's, it's never, you know, like like you have. Um, that's never happened, no matter where I look. Um, the thing that's been causing me frustration, and my friend who I mentioned before, who introduced me, this can relate. That even even with things that I know are that I know I want to want to get into, even if regardless of where it originates, like lucid dreaming and stuff, um, um, I tend to forget just how great it would be. Like, I mean, like sometimes I'll read about an experience someone had, and it would maybe think, yeah, that well, I, I should really be do getting into this more. 
or I'll have a dream that particularly memorable or vivid or whatever, and it'll you think it'll remind me just how amazing dreams can be, and I'll like get back into that. But like every whenever I start practicing, then before the point where I actually start to get success, it just it's like that fades away. Just forget. I just can't really you know remember other than like intellectually how how good it would be. Um, just can't keep that. I mean. Like yeah, I'm motivated on the being level at least at the, at least when at least at times. But I mean, but it's just, it just doesn't stay there just because I just forget. Um, how? And Zeth, do you have recommendations? And yeah, mentioned in the forum post was um I realized afterwards that this probably wouldn't be best for this format, but because it should apply to everyone. But I was one thing that I mentioned was that. Wondering if maybe if you could like maybe look deeper into my situation via the database or something and just give me to tell me if there's any concerns I should be aware of. Not that I would ha- not that I would like believe it unconditionally or anything. But it would put me in the right direction. But again, it's not that's more something that not really the kind of thing that would apply to everyone. So I'm not. Sh- I don't think that's really the kind of thing you want to take time from this to do. But if you would like to do it, just let me know. But I don't know. If, I don't okay. don't take it at the wrong way or anything. I don't know. If, you are, but you know. I Sorry. think I got your. I think I have your question. Okay, you're uh, you're frustrated because you can't experience the things that would, in your mind, validate the the theory or the idea that these uh, paranormal things or things that are that are uh, beyond normal experience are actually true. Yeah. And it's good that you should remain skeptical. Yeah. That is a, that's a very important part of it. Stay skeptical and stay open-minded. And it looks like you've, you've done that. One of the things I would, I would uh, point you toward that might be helpful. If you look at my YouTube videos and search for, I have a several, several of them that have the letters TMI in it, which is the Monroe Institute. I've done. I've been there before. They had like a free, a free orientation meeting. They're, yeah. they're in Virginia. Well, yeah. Well, this is not to go there, but I went, I have given programs on how to experience the, uh, larger conscious system, how to, how to do, how to have the experience of, of doing these paranormal things. And I've given that course and I have videotaped it while I'm, while I'm doing it. And I just did one a couple of months ago, but it hasn't gone up on YouTube yet. And it'll be the most comprehensive, and it should come up sometime soon uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube. But there's at least three or four others that I've done that are on YouTube now, and they go through all of the various paranormal um, things, uh, from communicating to getting data out of databases to healing to remote viewing, all of the, the things that uh, that are kind of typical that people do. Uh, paranormally and and they and it gives you directions it explains what is it how does it work why does it work that way and what you should do what you can do in order to experience it so that maybe will give you some direction if you haven't come across those videos already those videos particularly just address this idea of getting your own experience how can you get your own experience the second thing I tell you, so other than you can go there and you can get 
I don't know what it would be, um, four days, probably uh, four or five hours a day. So it's like 20 hours of instruction on how to do this and how to experience these things. So look those up. But besides that, you have to realize that it's not going to be something quick. You're mm-hmm. going to have to have stick to You're going to have to work at it and work at it until you overcome your own beliefs, your own fears, your own ego, which are the things that get in the way. And that'll, that'll take a little time. I know. It's, it's more though, it's a big part of it though is that, like I said, it's just, I, I start doing something and I, I give it my all as far as I can tell, but then, like, after like maybe a day or two, then I just seem to forget, like, like you just don't, it just have trouble sticking with me, like, why I want to do it and everything, and like, other than intellectually, which isn't enough. Um, yeah, well, that's a matter of staying focused. And this does require focus. If you're going to do these things, you'll have to stay focused not only a day or two, but, you know, several months. If you, let's say healing, using your intent to heal, I would say the average person who works on that, say, oh, half an hour, an hour a day in three months ought to be fairly good at it. They ought to be able to heal and, and often, most of the time, have very positive results. Uh, remote viewing is a little harder, but it's the same thing. If you practice at it daily for, you know, maybe six months, you ought to get fairly good at it. These things aren't that hard to do, but they do take a lot of repetition and a lot of focus. Otherwise, nothing much is going to happen in a couple of days. So that's just, you're going to have to have an intent a desire to do it that lasts long enough for you to overcome the things that are inhibiting it. And if you listen to those videos I'm telling, it'll it'll tell you like what's inhibiting it and what the things are you have to do. Basically, you have to approach the world not intellectually, but intuitively. And that is very difficult for some people who live out of their intellects. For other people, uh, particularly right brain people, that's not all that hard. They can do that pretty quickly. So it kind of depends on where you are, how much uh, how much focus you have, how long you can you know put put effort into it. You and, see, I'm a very left brain thinker myself. So. Yeah, well, people who are very left brain thinkers tend to have more difficulty. It takes them longer to get there because they have to allow an intuitive side to blossom, and then they have to. Um, develop that intuitive side to the point that it becomes trustworthy, that they can depend on it, that when they get answers through the intuitive channel, they know they've got answers and they can trust that those answers are good answers. And that just takes a lot of a lot of practice, a lot of work with it before you get to that point that you can trust it and you can rely on it. So it won't come quickly. So if your problem is that after a few days you kind of lose interest or your mind wanders someplace else, then that's going to be a real big problem. It's going to be very difficult for you to learn these things if you can't um, focus on them, you know, kind of daily for months. It's just it's, that, uh, it's that especially hard to do when I don't even have the knowledge at the being level, especially that it's, that it's, that what I want is even, I mean, I guess, yeah, with some things, like what I mentioned about lucid dreaming, yeah, that, that, that shouldn't be a problem, but... 
Um, so, yeah, that's, that would be a good place to start. But, um, also, I, I, one thing I'm curious about, I don't want to give, like, undue weight to it, I know, but I'm just curious. Um, you mentioned, you said all the different paranormal stuff you go into. Does that include some of the more, more incredible, yet, yet also at the same time kind of more trivial stuff, like, like the example you always give of, like, levitating rocks and stuff? Um, no, no, it doesn't. And levitating rocks is not part of what I talk about. Uh, that, that's something uh, that, that I would love to see. That would yeah, be really cool. That's something that is very exceptional. That's not something everybody's going to learn in a few months. That's yeah. that's a very exceptional thing, and uh, it really has little value in it other than it's it is amusing and probably be a a big demonstration. But you also can search. Um, uh, Google the internet f- for uh, telekinesis, and you'll find hundreds of videos there that are willing to teach you how to do telekinesis. But they're not levitating boxes of rocks. What they're mm-hmm. doing is usually taking something that has a very fine balance, like something that's just balanced on a pinpoint, yes. and they're that. making it tip one way or another, or spin or not spin. They do something with it, and that's was- the way you start in that. That's yeah. just the beginning. That helps you get the sense of what works and what doesn't because it doesn't require much force to get in a, to get an effect. And after that, you can build those skills up to where you can do things that are more dramatic, uh, and take more, more skill. But this is a matter of teaching your intuitive side to, you know, to work. We, we ignore our intuitive sides and we're very out of balance that way. And it takes a while to grow that. I wish you'd show it on camera. Not that that couldn't be faked. I'm just, I mean, I, I know you, I'm sure you don't want to, but I'm just saying. No. I'm just saying I wish. But No, do, doing demonstrations are not useful because everybody who, you know, doesn't, you know, it, it gets, it's a matter of a belief. If you see a demonstration on a, on a video, then you have the choice yeah. of either believing it or not believing it. Just and neither cool one of those are useful. It'd just be cool to see either way. I mean, yeah, no, I don't do demonstrations. Yeah. Not useful. Well, what do you think of what I mentioned about? I mean, I guess I said in the th- in the forum post you could contact me privately. So in case you don't want other people asking you all the time, I'm just saying about what I said about like querying the database to see if there's anything, any kind of specific concerns with me that I mean, I'm just asking just because couldn't hurt to ask. Um, might if you just in case you think it might be helpful, but if not, then. No, I think the thing that you need most of all is going to be focus, where you can keep your focus on something. You need to have an intention that's very strong, strong enough that you don't lose focus. And it seems that's your really, your fundamental problem. It's not really doing the paranormal things or whatever. It's not so much your intuitive side. It's keeping your focus. And that has to come from a, strong intention and you may be someone that just has a hard time keeping keeping a focus well in that case you'll just have to work at it you'll have to work harder than people who can do that easily so i'd say don't don't give up don't be discouraged don't get frustrated just keep working on it just keep working on it even if you don't see results just keep working on it and you'll begin to see small results and then keep at it, and those small results will very, very gradually turn into bigger results, which will turn into bigger results. And it, it takes some time, so don't be impatient. 
this is something that you, it's kind of a life's work, not just something that you dally at, you know, for a few weeks and then go on to something else. Mm -hmm. This is really about growing up and changing who you are. So that's a life's work. So take the long view, be patient and keep, keep working from what you read uh, to me, what you said, it looks like you have some successes and you call them minor successes. They haven't been real dramatic, but that's the way successes start. They start as minor successes, little things that give you pause and say, well, could that have been something? Maybe. A couple of things uh, that, that specifically stand out. One time when I was really young, um, I, <laughs> there's this restaurant that I used to like to go to, um, in Thurmont, Maryland, it was called the Cozy Restaurant. Um, it's since closed down. Um, and but, but um, one time, a long time ago, my mom had told me that that it closed down before it, and this was this was years before it actually did. But she had said that it closed down because she thought it did. Um, then I don't know, maybe a week or so later, I had a dream in which she told me that she was wrong and it didn't actually closed down, so, and I woke up, I was like, ah, it was just a dream, I, I liked that restaurant, I was hoping it hadn't closed down, but then, first thing, my mom told me, it actually didn't close down, <laughs> um, so that, that was pretty interesting, and another yeah. thing is, one time, maybe, I'd say maybe five years ago or so, I was sitting in my room, there was a thunderstorm, and I used to, I used to be really deathly afraid of loud noises, like, it was to the point where the where like when I was at school, then they would they would page my classroom to tell me, like to tell me before there was going to be a fire drill, so I go outside in advance. Um, um, but, um, but like there was a thunderstorm, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it's interesting. I you think I would have been more afraid of thunderstorms as a kid, because at any point there could be a lightning strike, like really close by with like no warning, and that would be like really loud and. That, that any, during any thunderstorm that could happen and for, and never had, but I just was thinking to myself, you know, that would be, yeah, that would be really scary. I'm glad that I hadn't realized that when I was a kid. And then maybe like less than a minute later, I heard like the loudest lightning strike I had ever heard. And interestingly, when I went, when later that day, um, there was this light bulb in the kitchen that had burned out and it was glowing, it was lit up again. Um, I don't know, maybe like, vibration arc welded it or something yeah. i don't know but it's that just... happens yeah yeah things that was intuitive you know you got the intuitive sense about the lightning strike you thought about it and then it happened those sorts of things happen a lot and those are exactly what i'm talking about when i'm saying these small things happen but keep working and you will eventually get there as long as you can maintain that intent and that focus on growing up and don't worry too much about paranormal stuff. Paranormal stuff can be fun and it's interesting to play with, but mainly focus on letting go of fear, letting go of ego and beliefs. That's the key thing. Focus on that and, and let the paranormal kind of come as it comes. Uh, Frank, nice of you to join us today. I know you've got some questions for us. Please go ahead. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Donna. Hi, Tom. Hi, everyone. Um, Hi, Tom, I I had a few questions around qualia. Still, I'm still confused about how MBT looks at that. So that's the 
subjective experience of things. So what it feels like to, I don't know, get a kick in the stomach or to taste chocolate or, or these things. And um, so I had a few questions around that because I heard you say that, oh, where's my window now where I have them? So um, you say we come into PMR with no intellectual knowledge and that's obvious. And so we have to learn mm -hmm. everything from scratch. And um, so when a baby has to learn how things work, uh, who is dad, who is mom, what's my own arm, what's other people. So I, I can see how you have to learn that. And, but that I would say that is kind of intellectual um, mm -hmm. learning and interpreting the data the baby gets. But then what about um, other data it gets, such as pain, for example, or the nice feeling of being kissed by the mother? that isn't really something that the baby needs to learn, no? Because, um, so I'd be surprised if the baby would need to learn to distinguish pain from, from nice, pleasurable feelings. So I wonder, that's the, f the first question I had around that. So what, what kind of data really need to be learned to interpret it? And so where is there then also some room for different interpretation? And what other type of data are there in a virtual reality that you don't really need to learn to interpret? Okay. Uh, there are things other than, than, uh, facts, of course. And facts are, is this my arm or not my arm? These are facts, right? Is that an apple or is that my mother? You know, you're, you're learning names for things. You're learning what things are. But besides that, because we're consciousness, our intellectual, uh, side doesn't just deal in facts. It also deals in feelings. How does that feel? How does that make me feel? Is that a low entropy feeling? Is that a high entropy feeling? You know, and because of the, the, um, rule set that has to do with our biology, right? This, this baby, this, this child that has the stomach ache, because of that rule set, the biology is such that if there's a problem with that stomach, then pain is generated by the system to let that baby know that that needs to, it needs to cry to get help or it needs something. And you as an adult have the same thing. Pain has a purpose. It's to let you know there's a problem so that you can take care of it or you can maybe uh, not use an arm that's hurting because if you keep using it, you may hurt it worse. So when things tend to hurt us, we tend to favor them. We tend to take care of that. And that's just the rule set. Those are the things that the rule set gives us. So the computer sends us information based on that avatar's experience according to the rule set. And some of that's internal as well as external. Some of it's arms and apples and mothers, and some of it is pain and feelings and things like that. So those things are generated mostly by the rule set of our biology. And they have a purpose. The rule set's there to draw your attention to things that need your attention. That's why you'd have pain. And pleasure is the same way. Pleasure is something that draws your attention to something that feels really good. And usually those things that feel really good are low entropy things, things that, that really work well together, things that are, you know, create something more than just the sum of the parts. You know, it's those kinds of things 
And when you get those low entropy experiences, that feels good. Those high entropy experiences like pain, you know, they make you feel bad. And you learn those things as well. It's just, you know, you have the rule set that shows you that that light hits the apple and goes in and gets focused on your retina and so on. So you get that data of an apple. But you also have internal data that the biology does. So that's how we get, you know, we get stomach aches and things like that. And we interpret them as this doesn't feel good. And a young child doesn't actually think so much as my stomach hurts as they think it does something doesn't feel good. It takes them a while with experience to grow up to differentiate a tummy ache from a backache, you know, from a, you know, from something else. It, at the very young child doesn't differentiate between any of those things. They just know they don't feel good, whether it's their diapers wet. Uh, their skins chafe, they're hungry, um, you know, they have a bellyache. All of that comes out with the same response, which is to cry to get attention for some adult to come and fix it. Mm-hmm. And they don't differentiate. So it's just a doesn't feel good sort of thing, which our biology gives us. And the system then sends us that information, doesn't feel good, feeling is part of our knowledge, not just not just facts. Mm. So that would clarify uh, actually for me what you mean by interpretation because in that in the case of pleasure and pain the interpretation would be kind of limited to where does it come from why do i get that feeling and either how can i get rid of it or how can i get more of it. Um but yes. uh, but everyone would feel for example an itch from a mosquito bite would feel more or less similar for everyone. So it's yes. not that I interpret like a mosquito bite for me feels like I don't know someone um, someone hitting you or something. No, the feeling is probably quite similar for everyone. Right. Now it's similar for everyone, but not exactly the same for everyone, and that's because our biology has a lot of similarities, but it also mm-hmm. has differences. So everybody's body is not exactly like everybody else's body. Matter of fact, there's so much randomness in the system when the when that egg and that and that sperm meet of how that develops and what happens and the way that grows there's so many uh uh ways that that can go together that no two bodies are the same so you know when people talk of qualia they often talk about uh you know is red red you know what is red what is blue what do the colors mean no we don't see necessarily the same colors because we don't have exactly the same biology our biology is all a little different. So if you have an eyeball that sees more in the, you know, the red spectrum and less in the blue, maybe, then you may see different kind of reds than other people see reds. Your reds may be more saturated and deeper. And, um, you know, you may see less in that blue. Or you could be shifted the other way. It's just the way our biology works. Everybody's a little different. Mm-hmm. But we agree. You know, somebody tells us, you know, when we're in kindergarten, they, they pick up a card that has color red on it, and they say, this is red. And everybody in the schoolroom that looks at that gets some kind of response from it. Whatever that response is, they define that then from then on as that's red. So when I see something that gives me that response, I'll call it red. And for the most part, we kind of agree what red is until we get down to where they make these very, um, you know, 35 different shades of red, you know, this sort mm-hmm. of thing. When you go to the lipstick counter or someplace where they have cosmetics, 
you'll understand there's not just four or three basic colors. There seems to be, you know, almost an infinite number of shades and colors and textures and so on. And at that point, you'll find a lot of people disagreeing. Well, that looks a little red, you know, reddish to me. And somebody else will look at it and say, well, I don't see any red in it. Then these little differences in biology start to, uh, you know, become more noticeable. But as long as we're looking at a fire engine that's painted red, everybody looks at it and says, yeah, that's, that's red because it's close enough for our biology. So the way we deal with that is with pattern matching. So if we get a new experience, something comes up and we've never seen it before, we try to pattern match it to our own experience. So we'll look at it and we'll say, well, I've never seen anything like that, but I've seen some things that are similar, maybe. And in that case, we do the best we can to pattern match it. And the pattern match may not be a really good one. You know, it may be a stretch and we may get it wrong, but we think it's, you know, we, we think it's a duck, but we're not really sure whether it's a duck or not. It sort of walks like one, but it doesn't really sound like one. From our experience, we have very limited experience of duck. So we're not really sure, but we can take a guess at that. And maybe it isn't that at all. You know, maybe it's a duck-billed platypus or something else. You know, it's just not a duck. It's got some appearances of it. But we don't know because you've never seen one of those. So we look at it and say, oh, look, a duck. That's just pattern matching. So that depends on our own on our own experience base, how well we pattern match. And I've been told by some uh, things I've read in psychology that if you can't come up with a pattern at all, some things are just hard to see. If you if there's something out there and your pattern match just comes up empty, it can't you know come up with anything at all. You have a tendency not to see it. It's almost like it's invisible because you don't have any data to call it anything. So you tend to just look past it, look by it. You know, it's one of those things that's there, but it's hard for you to notice it because it doesn't match any of your any of your data that you have. What about when you're really young and you? I'm sorry, should I not? Sure. Um, what about when you're really young then, and you've I've, there's a first time for seeing everything? So why wouldn't you ignore it back then? Well, you have to learn. You have to learn these things, and you gather more and more data as time goes on, and you ask people, you know, what's that? And they'll tell you, that's an apple. You know, and so you you learn by questioning. And, yes, your world, when you're very young, is very magical. It's got all kinds of things in it, and you don't know what they are. You can tell there's something there, but you don't necessarily notice it. And children don't notice a lot of things. If you've noticed young children – Often they just kind of walk through a room and there's a whole lot of things they don't see and don't notice and don't, you know, tune in on. You know, it's it's very unusual for a child that's never seen an apple to walk into a room, you know, and it's, oh, what's that? You know, it generally doesn't work like that. They only get that apple when somebody hands them one and says, this is an apple. You'll like it. You know, that's then when they do apples. Otherwise, that apple's almost invisible. So it's we learn. And we pattern match, and we have biology that causes us all sorts of feelings based on on the rule set of how that biology I mean, works. Interpreted either. I mean, I mean th- those feelings at the rawest level, like whether they're good or bad. That's just that's is that exempt from needing to inter- interpret them or things that are good or bad are feelings. Yeah. Consciousness works in 
in the feeling space as well okay. as an intellectual space. The feeling space tends to be our intuitive space. It's not intellectual. It's not about facts. It's about feelings. And we get feelings about things that make us feel good, make us feel bad, or we really don't, you know, we're somewhere in between. It's neutral. We don't have any particular feelings about most things that we don't know. So the first time we run into that apple, we don't have any feelings about it. We only know what somebody tells us. And if they cut a slice of it and we eat it and we go, ooh, that's good, now we start to develop feelings toward things like apples, maybe even feelings toward things called fruit altogether, just because now we can pattern match that apple to, to fruit in general uh, as we learn more about what fruit is. So those are the those are the key ideas is the is that you you need to gather through experience facts and feelings and those feelings tend to sort out the things that are that are uh, low entropy feelings are things that generally feel good the things that are high entropy feelings you know cause disturbance cause you know us, us to uh you know our energy to kind of get wild and to be upset well that's all high energy stuff and those things aren't so good high entropy things and they aren't so aren't good there's some high entropy things that feel good though like 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 mm-hmm. egotistical pleasure like that someone gets from being better than others or something sure and there are people who are masochists who think pain feels good yeah. you know so then if they you know you know take a knife and cut themselves they go they get some sort of pleasure out of that that's why they do it they're uh, you know being uh, self-destructive but because of their psychology because maybe they don't like themselves very much maybe even hate themselves and so on they get a certain pleasure out of hurting themselves there's all kinds of states that you can get into but we're not going through all of those the kind of marginal stuff we're just saying that in in general things that feel good and feel bad have to do with with our, our feeling space, our intuitive space, not our intellectual space. And typically they're low entropy, high entropy. It doesn't mean it can't be the opposite in very specific situations. Humans can, anything that can happen generally does happen on the human spectrum. You know, you can find something or somebody that will be the exception to the rule. But I'm only talking about rules. If we were to list all the exceptions, we'd spend hours just going down that, that list of all the things that, don't fall under the fat part of the curve. So that's the that's the qualia thing. It's about feeling, not about facts. Feelings tend to be judged by experience, just as you know facts are. You know, you get it in the same way. It just happens in the intuitive space, in the feeling space, not in the intellectual space. So you have feelings. Mom picks you up and she nurses you, or she coos, or she does whatever, and that just feels good. You know, so then you, you have enough of those experience and you may start wanting them, anticipating them. You know, that may be part of it. Somebody else, some other woman you've never seen before picks you up and starts cooing at you too. Well, you may have a positive attitude right away. Oh, this is going to be good. Or just because she's strange, you may be scared and you may scream. You say, cause it's somebody you don't know. And that's scary because it's the unknown. That's a fear. So the, the qualia aren't any different, you know, and they're not really, you know, they're not really uh, processed differently in the sense that we have intuitive space and intellectual space. We have the being, it's like the being level space and the intellectual space. And uh, we process both ways and the rule set 
interacts in all of those, including our feeling space, things that hurt from things that don't, you know, from things that feel good. So does that answer your question, Frank? Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And I, I also just to say, I really like that, Michael, you jumped in because that shows that uh, somebody else found the question interesting, and also it gives it really uh, some chat atmosphere. So, so that's if you want to add anything to to that, uh, uh, you're very welcome. Um, don't forget to ask what you said about the having to relate everything back to PMR because I'm I'm interested in the answer to that too. Yes, exactly, Tom. You said that that uh, people who go to NPMR they need to interpret everything, all the data they get there in terms of their experience base in PMR. So I was uh, also curious there because that's sometimes uh, so um, different um, that, let me just find back my question. Um, uh, so, um, so that seems logical that you basically all need to have your experience base and interpret things from there. But then how do you ever get new experience if you always have to relate it to something unknown? So does that mean if it's so different uh, to all the things you knew before that it's basically impossible to bridge that gap in one step? So you need to approach it in, in really incremental steps and so that you can extend your experience base in, in that way. Yeah, exactly. If the differences are are like you've never seen that before, but you've seen things that are somewhat related or similar, then we just pattern match and we take our best guess. And that is our that's what we think it is, even if we're not sure. You know, we kind of start with that as our as our guess. So we don't have to have precise experience to match everything because we pattern match and that pattern matches got errors in it. And we accept those errors. But if it's something so different that we don't have, we can't pattern match it at all, then we just have to explore it. You know, mm -hmm. we don't know. And like I say, sometimes it's even hard for us to notice things like that. But obviously, if something like that falls and, you know, hits, hits you on the head, you'd explore it because now it's there in your reality. But if it's just in the background, you may just walk by it and never even know that it's there. But if it's something you have to deal with, Then it's like, I don't know what this is. I have no clue, but let's see. You know, is it bigger than a bread box? Uh, you know, is it uh, mineral, a vegetable? What is it and how does it work? Poke it with a stick and see what happens. You know, that sort of thing. We just have to explore it. And from mm -hmm. then we start, we start however it responds. If we poke it with a stick, then we can, if it responds, Like an animal, you know, it moves or it moves away from us. Then we say, oh, it's some kind of an animal. See, we're pattern matching. So that's how we, yeah, we're not stuck at zero because we don't actually have prior experience. We pattern match, which gets us close, or we just experiment if we can't even pattern match. Yeah. So I really, I think I got your, your concept now of how, how that works. And so if, if all you've ever eaten was apples and the first time you eat a pear, then you would probably think, oh, that's a strange apple. And then you, <laughs> yes, eat, more, exactly. then you eat more pears and then you learn to tell the difference. And, and this right. also explains how someone can, I mean, how it takes a lot of effort to become, become a, a, a wine connoisseur like somebody who can tell really uh 1000 right. wines from each other and and to to somebody yeah to other people it just all tastes the same yes okay. you have you have to drink an awful lot of wine mm -hmm. and you have to pay attention you have to pay very close attention to the differences 
that's how you do it. So you, you know, if you can tell a hundred different wines apart, you've probably tasted a thousand different wines and you've probably got built up your database of differences to where you're aware this one's a little tartar and this one's a little fruitier and this one's a little drier. And you have all these things that a person who's never had wine before isn't going to say, Oh, this is a little dry. You know, they don't know what that means. And if somebody tells them that, oh, this is a very dry wine, you should eat this with fish, you know, they'll have no idea what a dry wine is. It'll, that'll sound stupid. Wine is a liquid. What do you mean it's dry? You see, they won't have any way to, to process that information. So, yes, you build that up out of a lot of experience to where you become an expert, and you do that because you enjoy the thing. You like the thing. You are focused on that for somehow that is something that you want to spend your time picking apart and differentiating the details. And then it gets more expensive because then you don't like the cheap wine anymore than you have to buy really expensive <laughs> bottles all the time. So it's better not to know them too well. And, uh, and the last the question... Are saying that the way to improve your consciousness is to, is to binge yourself on alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say binging yourself on alcohol will improve your consciousness. No, that does not seem to be something. But if you've never done that... If you've never binged on alcohol, then when somebody else gets up and say, oh, I have a terrible headache and, you know, I have this hangover, you'll have no idea how they feel. So only if you've done that will you have some idea how they feel. Otherwise, you'll just have this general sense of, well, they don't feel good. But I won't, you know, that's all you'll know. You won't be able to relate to it in any kind of detail. That's why you run into people who don't have your a similar experience base to you. You run into somebody, let's say, that is uh, uh, happy all the time or depressed all the time, and they spent 30 years, you know, basically finding joy in life or 30 years being depressed. And if you've never been depressed and you've never actually lived in, in joy, you won't really understand either one of them. You won't know. They'll be smiling and, you'll, you know, the joyful person will be standing there grinning and you'll have no idea what they're grinning at or why. And the other depressed person will be looking sad, and you'll have no idea why. Because you don't have any experience in order to interpret what they're doing. And you just guess, well, when I feel sad, that means I'm upset about something. So you'll figure they're upset. But they not, may not be upset at all. Frank, does that, that kind of... Yes, just one last question on qualia, if I may. And maybe it's not so okay. much about qualia, but it's, it's related, I think, because um, it's about remote empathy and remote viewing or not really viewing but i think you said it's possible for example to taste what somebody else is tasting you can mm -hmm. get their data their taste data for example and then i was wondering and and i think there are people who are remote empaths so they just can feel if other people are feeling mm -hmm. good or or have a problem or depressed And I was just wondering what kind of data that is and if you do that. Uh, so if you can distinguish between wanting to get the the raw data, so to say, that are not yet interpreted. Um, for example, if somebody is eating something and you want to taste what they're tasting, are you actually getting the raw data? Let's say they 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 are eating some sort of fish that they really like, but you really hate it. And you get the raw fish data. So, so can you say, uh, will, will you say, oh, that, that's really, that doesn't taste good at all. So you would get the raw data and you interpret it your way or you interpret it the way they are tasting it. Or can you, can you decide what you want to, what you want to get? 
I have just a little bit of experience with that, and I have tasted things that other people were eating. That was kind of some experimenting I did with that a long, long time ago. And, you know, you could get a mixture of those because you can get people's feeling in the sense, oh, that person's really enjoying what they're eating, and you can pick that up. And if you get the flavor, that would be kind of the raw data of that flavor. And you may think, well, I wouldn't enjoy that, you know, or, oh, that's really good. But if it's not in your database, you'd pattern match it. Oh, that's kind of bitter in this, but I can't really place it. It just kind of has this, you know, this bitter flavor, or maybe it's a sweet and sour, you know, mixture, but you couldn't really place it. You couldn't say, oh, that must be a such and such. You still would have to pattern match what you'd get. And if you had no idea, that would be hard to pattern match, you know, what, you know, somebody else's taste, because a sense of taste and whether that taste is good or not good is personal. You know, all kinds of people eat very strange things. You know, as you go around the world and you go to different cultures and different places, you know, the foods are dramatically different that people eat. And the flavors that they find enjoyable are very different. And a lot of things, the first time you try them, they're awful, but you eventually develop a taste for them to where you think they're good. You know, like coffee, you know. Billions of people drink coffee and have to drink it every day. But most people, the very first swallow of coffee they get, particularly if it's just black coffee, it's like, you know, who would want to drink that? It's bitter and it's not particularly pleasant at all. But because everybody drinks coffee, then you drink coffee when everybody else does because everybody's doing it. And pretty soon you love your coffee and it just tastes wonderful to you. So tastes are, are, you know, part physiology and part interpretation. It's not. It's not really a fact. It's a. I think small children don't like French cheese, for example, like really strong cheese in the beginning because yeah. they only like sweet stuff. And then, I mean, it's my own experience as well. Then I was was an adult. I was eating the. I remembered it was almost the same taste, but suddenly I liked it. So so that's also a. But that's a biological development, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. And and one last thing on the remote empaths then, because those people they will probably then not get the raw data but the interpretation because if if a person is depressed or feeling extremely happy that's their interpretation of their situation at that moment so this is what the what the remote empaths get right yes the remote empaths get their interpretation of how that person feels so they feel that the person feels good but they probably don't know exactly why they're feeling good or it's what's making them feeling good just that they feel good. So they can't say, oh, this person's feeling good because they're watching a, you know, a, a movie about such and such, you know, about Santa Claus uh, giving gifts to little children or something and everybody's happy. You wouldn't get that. What you'd get is people are generally feeling very positive and very up without getting anything of the subject matter. You just get the sense of the feeling. If you were empathic, you wouldn't know really why they were. You wouldn't see the movie they were watching. You know, you would just you know, get the feeling with it. That would be too hard to do to get the feeling, to get the movie they were watching is a much higher bandwidth issue. And you'd have to have other skills like, you know, remote viewing and other things going on and other, in order to do that. Not that it's impossible. It's just much harder to do. So typically people wouldn't get that. They just get the feeling because that's more of a, a low bandwidth thing, which is makes it easier to get than something that uh, is really high bandwidth as far as information and data flow.
Mm -hmm. So yes, so yes, you just get bits and pieces of it in which you interpret based on your own experience. So that's why, you know, we, uh, that's why I say that you have to always be skeptical because what you get is not necessarily what's there. It's your interpretation of what's there. It's your interpretation of the data you receive. And you can interpret it poorly. Your pattern matching can be off. Your, you know, that's the male-female thing, right? Where men don't understand what women mean. You know, they say, oh, I've got this problem at work. So, so, and so, and so. They're not looking for a solution. They're, they're, they're looking for a little warmth, you know, a little, oh, I'm so sorry, my dear. You know, they're, they're looking for a little of that, not somebody that tell them what they should have said. That is not helpful to them, whereas males don't think of it that way. You know, so we interpret things in terms of our own patterns. And um, when the patterns are different than ours, we tend to come to erroneous conclusions. So what we think people mean and what we think people say and what we think people are experiencing may not be that, you know, what they're really thinking, feeling, experiencing at all. It's just our interpretation of it. And that's why you have to be skeptical of everything. So when you uh, go into an altered state and you hear a voice and the voice tells you something, don't believe it just because it came in a voice or even don't believe it because the voice said that it was in, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it was God. You know, you need to be skeptical of everything because you interpret it and those interpretations are based on your fear as well as your knowledge, you know, and experience. It's also your fear, your ego, and your beliefs are part of that interpretation.